and I think most of you would agree to this, I'm the most transparent president probably in the history of this country. <laughs> yes. We'll all agree to it. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, just to name a few. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Okay, so the uh, the word that comes to mind, uh, to me anyway, to explain what is going on in Washington, D.C. today is a word that Desi Doyen used earlier that I cannot use on FCC radio. No, you cannot. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I do. So instead, I think uh, I will call it uh, what I, I think this is allowable. A uh, It is a crap show in dc today okay yeah that's a lot more evocative than okay. uh, than the s show that oh, i was thinking okay. of but uh, anyway uh it, it really is a mess uh democrats are battling amongst themselves over whether to begin an official impeachment inquiry nancy pelosi accurately uh accused donald trump of a cover-up Donald Trump walked out of a phony meeting with Democratic leaders at the White House, supposedly on infrastructure because they had just accused him of covering things up. And then what the media are calling an impromptu press conference in uh, in the Rose Garden where they just happened. The uh, White House just happened to have signs already printed up as big props for this so-called impromptu press conference. Uh, where they claimed falsely that Robert Mueller had found no collusion and no obstruction, et cetera, et cetera. In short, yes, it's a mess or a crap show today, and none of it is making uh, much sense at all. There was, however, another very bad ruling for the president in court late today. We will cover that in a bit with all of the other crap. And all of this is predicated by Trump's newest cover-up artist, 
ally at the Department of Justice. That would be Attorney General William Barr, who, though he was found in contempt of Congress by the House Judiciary Committee, uh, he seems to otherwise be getting a pass from the press on all of this, at least according to media uh, media analyst Eric Bullard, who will join me in a bit to talk about all of this. Uh, but first, what I, what I really want to talk about is that after 49 years of waiting, the St. Louis Blues have not made it into the Stanley Cup playoffs, but now they have. So, Desi Doyen, can I take the next uh, hour talking about the St. Louis Blues? <laughs> Would that be okay? Well, you could, but... 49 years they haven't made it into the playoffs. I thought I would never live uh, to see the day. And yet you have. Well, we'll see. There's still a few, <laughs> few days between now and uh, Monday. In any event, all right, we'll start here instead. Uh, since I had I had a, a more election integrity news that I wanted to cover yesterday, if you heard our uh, previous program, but I ran out of time. I promised a chilling report. I like to keep my promises, so this is it. Anonymous hackers breached the city of Baltimore's computer servers two weeks ago. Actually, more than two weeks ago now. Since then, those servers' digital content has been locked away, and the online aspects of running the entire city are now at an impasse. This has been going on for two weeks now, with little or no coverage nationally. Government emails are down. Payments to city departments cannot be made online. Real estate transactions cannot be processed. Hackers demanded 13 bitcoins, that's worth about $100,000 today, to relinquish their grip on this material. Baltimore City Mayor Jack Young has said the city will not pay. The FBI and Secret Service are investigating, and the city has contracted with a series of experts to assist in restoring service somehow. The cyber attack, according to NPR, is just one of more than 20 made on municipalities this year alone. And cybersecurity experts say it likely will take months for the city to recover. Avi Rubin, a Johns Hopkins computer science professor and cybersecurity expert, said, Imagine if somebody would sneak into a government building at night, load up a bunch of boxes with all the paperwork for all the pending permits and all the pending house closings and all the pending business that the city was conducting, put it all in a truck and drive away and demand some money in order to bring that truck back. That, uh, uh, Ruben says, that's a lot easier to do in uh, cyberspace without getting caught. And that's what happened here. Avi, by the way, uh, who now works for the uh, city of Baltimore, uh, well over a decade ago now, he was among the first to warn very, very loudly about vulnerabilities to our electronic voting systems. Had him on the air about 15 years ago a few times to discuss it way back then. So let's say it's fun to see him again here in this context. The city of Baltimore, like many local governments, was not at all prepared for something like this. And if it's never happened, it's only natural to say, well, this type of thing has never happened before. So why should we spend a lot of money on it, said Ruben. With no key, Ruben said the city will have to, uh, which they would get this key, supposedly, if they paid off these ransomware hackers. Ruben said the uh, city will have to rebuild its servers from the ground up and that that will likely take months and will involve implementing new hardware and software and restoring 
any data that the city may have hopefully backed up. But yes, speaking of election security, what about that now in the city of Baltimore? Electionline.org reports this week that while the city's system uh, city system staff is trying to solve the problem, city agencies, including the Board of Elections, have been left scrambling. Abigail Goldman, deputy director of the city's Board of Elections, said uh, on the morning of May 7 that staff at the board knew something was up because emails were not functioning properly, but they soon discovered that it was much bigger than that. After consulting with the city's IT department, which took the elections, uh, uh, the elections office completely offline, no Internet, no word processing, no nothing. Goldman said the call, the second call was to the State Board of Elections. According to Nikki Charlson, deputy director of the Maryland State Board of Elections, the State Board of Elections immediately disconnected the local election office from the state networks and asked all network administrators to analyze system logs and network traffic looking for unusual activity. Goldman said we're basically dead in the water at this point in Baltimore. When people uh, come in, we're able to use paper forms, she said. Goldman said the SBOE and other boards in the state have been very helpful with helping the uh, Baltimore uh, Board of Elections get back on its feet. Six staff from the city BOE will be working remotely for the next few weeks. Three will be stationed in Baltimore County's Board of, uh, of Elections. Three will be stationed at the Hartford County Board of Elections. The SBOE is also helping, the State Board of Elections is also helping however they can. Charlson from the State Board said, because we have a statewide top-down voter registration system, we started processing electronic voter registration applications from Baltimore City voters at the State Board. She said, we will also accept filings from individuals who wish to file for next year's Baltimore City mayoral and city council offices. Instead of handling that at the city, they're now handling that at the State Board of Elections for the time being. The City Election Board's Goldman estimates that uh, once uh, the staff are in place at their new remote offices now and able to complete the necessary tasks like data entry, the city will be at about 80 percent of where it normally would be. And then she added this chilling thought, quote, Thank goodness it's not an election year. Yes, I ran a, a chill down my own spine just <laughs> reading that just now. Well, Thank goodness it's not an election year because the city of Baltimore is completely knocked out. This uh, has happened in some 20 municipalities this year. This is what... <laughs> Just one of the things I have been warning about when we rely on uh, our elections, when we rely on computers for our election systems everywhere from top to bottom now, from uh, voter registration down to programming uh, computers, voting machines, tabulators, even in cases where we have hand-marked paper ballots, those are tabulated by computer optical scanners. But at least people can vote. And at least if those computer optical scanners don't work, guess what? We can count those paper ballots by hand because they are hand marked. But in all of the states, in all of the jurisdictions, including my own Los Angeles County here, 
that are moving to these computer-marked paper ballot systems that use touchscreens to mark a paper ballot, are they insane? Take a look at the city of Baltimore. Take a look what's going on there today. Now, two weeks, over two weeks since this ransomware attack initially happened. They are out of business. If that happened on or before Election Day... Not yeah. sure what the protocols would be uh, no, to deal with that. There are none. Yeah. There are none. There, well, if if you don't have handmarked paper ballots, there are none. If we have handmarked paper ballots and we have paper poll books in every polling place, then we can continue as usual and uh, count ballots by hand if necessary. But uh, the situation we are now headed towards, you know, I it'll never happen. What could possibly go wrong? We say all the time on this show. For 15 years, they were saying, there's nobody's going to hack an election. What? A foreign country manipulating our elections? That's crazy talk. Why worry about that? Well, apparently there are lots of reasons to worry about that. And that story continues to unfold in Washington, D.C. today. We'll take a quick break and come back with the D.C. Crap Show and Eric Bullard. All of that is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. It sure do. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, after a private meeting of Democratic uh, leadership on Capitol Hill on Monday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi came out. Uh, gave very quick comments to the press, citing the reports from uh, major committee heads that were delivered at this meeting and uh, all, all about bringing various forms of accountability against the Trump administration in varying ways from lawsuits to contempt findings to subpoenas. Uh, at this meeting in which the uh, reporting last night suggested that many in the leadership of the Democratic Party and in, in the House would be making the case to begin an official impeachment inquiry against the president. There was no news on that front on Wednesday, but Pelosi, who had been trying to hold off impeachment, who is still trying to hold off impeachment for some reason inside her caucus, did concede. Uh, it was a very positive meeting, a, a respectful sharing of ideas, and a, a, I think a very impressive presentation by our chairs. Uh, we do believe that it's important for the, to follow the facts, uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States, and we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up, in a cover-up, and that was the nature of the meeting. And then she walked away, taking no questions after dropping that cover-up bomb, uh, which frankly is, is hardly much of a bomb 
at this point. Well, I mean, it's obvious to everybody, but it's, I guess, a bomb that Pelosi's willing to say it out to loud, say it out loud. For the first time for some reason. It did, however, have the effect of shaking up a, a planned meeting at the White House shortly thereafter between Democratic leaders Pelosi and uh, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer from the uh, from the Senate. That was supposed to be about their shared interest with the president, at least Trump's pretend interest anyway, yeah. in a, a major one or two million dollar, a trillion dollar infrastructure package, depending on who you uh, are talking to. That meeting, which I don't believe Trump was ever actually interested in holding, uh, reportedly ended in just three minutes, according to the AP. The Curtains in the cabinet room were drawn. The Democrats were waiting and the president, Donald Trump, came and went in three minutes, never stopping to sit down or shake hands. Trump's angry walkout on Wednesday left behind a shattered bipartisan infrastructure effort and an escalation of tensions between the president and the congressional Democrats investigating him. He reportedly barked at House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for her earlier suggestion that he was involved in a cover-up, and then he headed to the Rose Garden for an impromptu news conference. So-called. Exactly. It was not impromptu. They had signs already printed up for it, falsely claiming that the uh, Mueller report found no obstruction and no collusion. Anyway, at that uh, press conference in the Rose Garden, he declared that he would not work with Democrats if they continue with their probes, saying that you can either have legislation or investigation, take your pick, and claiming to be the most transparent president in history. No, seriously, that's what he said. And I think most of you would agree to this. I'm the most transparent president probably in the history of this country. <laughs> And instead of walking in happily into a meeting, I walk in to look at people that had just said that I was doing a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. <laughs> you people know that probably better than anybody. And I was just looking at a list of some of the things that we just did more than 2,500 subpoenas qualified for. And I let everybody talk. Wait. What is he talking about? He did 2,500 subpoenas qualified for. He let everybody talk. Apparently, he let nobody talk, uh, reportedly. And as to being the most transparent in history, that he does not do cover-ups, that's all he does is cover-ups. That's the only thing he excels at. If so, he wouldn't be, if not, he wouldn't be having all of these problems. In any event, back to AP, they say Trump's anger had been building well before he stepped into the cabinet room for a follow-up meeting with Democrats about an infrastructure deal that both parties say was already on life support. Long upset by the wave of Democratic investigations into his administration, Trump was incensed by reports from Tuesday that some of his closest former aides, including ex-communications director Hope Hicks, for whom the president has long had a soft spot, were uh, being subpoenaed now also to testify before Congress. The president reached a boiling point just a few hours before the meeting, however, when he saw media coverage of Pelosi's remark that he is engaged in a cover-up. The speaker added that she was not surprised Trump bailed from the meeting, according to three different people with knowledge of the exchange who spoke on condition of anonymity. After Trump stormed out, senior White House counselor 
Kellyanne Conway whirled over to Pelosi and asked if she had, quote, a direct response to the president. Such a setup. Pelosi, I mean, it's so obvious. Pelosi replied, I'm responding to the president, not staff. Mm. Moments later, as the room emptied, Conway miffed that Pelosi chose to not respond to her directly, turned to the speaker and said, really great. That's really pro-woman of you. <laughs> Told you it was a crap show, right? Yeah. Uh, White House reporters were then summoned for the previously unscheduled news conference in the Rose Garden with the printed signs, no collusion, no obstruction, posted on the president's lectern. He repeatedly referenced what he called the I word. That would be impeachment as if he knows what is coming and no Democrats, no Speaker Pelosi. He did not seem to be looking forward to it. He seemed to be scared to death of it, frankly. Speaking at the uh, Capitol a short time later, Pelosi again needled the president some more by invoking how Trump could uh, not measure up to previous presidents. For some reason, maybe it was lack of confidence on his part that he really couldn't come match uh, the greatness of the challenge that we have, uh, didn't, wasn't really uh, respectful of the, of the Congress and the White House working together. He just took a pass, and it just makes me wonder why, why he did that. In any event, I pray for the president of the United States, and I pray for the United States of America. Me too, if I was a praying person. Prospects for the meeting's success, however, were never high. Neither side wanted to unveil its plan for the ambitious uh, program on how to pay for it. While the term Infrastructure Week continued to draw snickers from White House aides and reporters alike who recalled how other efforts at the initiative inevitably were overshadowed by chaos. Uh, well, the uh, snickering continued along with the chaos uh, on Wednesday as uh, Washington reeled from this spectacle in the Rose Garden. Trump turned to Twitter, of course, to uh, offer a retort to Nancy Pelosi saying, Nancy, thank you so much for your prayers. I know you truly mean it. Well, that's really pro-woman of him, isn't it? <laughs> but if Trump's day was not going well at that point, it did not get better later on Wednesday. A federal judge dealt a blow to Donald Trump on Wednesday, ruling that two banks can, in fact, hand over his financial documents in response to congressional subpoenas. New York Times quotes Judge uh, Edgardo Ramos saying, I will not enjoin enforcement of the subpoenas and added that he thought it was unlikely Trump and his family would win if there was a trial. The Trump family and company had sued Deutsche Bank and Capital One last month in an effort to block them from turning over financial documents sought by Congress. The House Intelligence and Financial Services Committees had issued subpoenas to several banks as part of their investigations of alleged foreign influence on U.S. elections in his ruling. U.S. District Judge Edgardo Ramos said he disagrees with the arguments from the Trump family attorneys that the subpoenas do not have a legitimate legislative purpose. He described the subpoena as undeniably broad, but, quote, clearly pertinent. He issued his ruling just after hearing arguments from lawyers representing the, uh, the Trump family and the uh, Democratic-controlled congressional committees. 
The ruling brings Deutsche Bank one step closer to handing over a trove of detailed confidential information about Trump, his family, his business empire, his company and his three eldest children, Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka. They all filed their lawsuit on April 29, trying to block Deutsche Bank and Capital One from complying with this lawful subpoena from Congress. Uh, Trump has a long history, of course, with Deutsche Bank. They're the only mainstream financial institution willing to do business with him after he has defaulted time and time again, leaving other lenders facing huge losses. The bank has uh, lent him a total more than two billion dollars. And uh, by the time he was sworn in as president, he still owed them three hundred million dollars. They are by far his largest creditor. The congressional subpoenas sought decades of his personal and corporate financial records. Judge Ramos said he agreed with Trump's claim that turning over financial records to Congress would, in fact, cause him and his family irreparable harm. But he said the merits of the Congressional Committee's goals outweighed that harm. The uh, Trump family lawyers signaled that they will appeal the ruling. They did not, however, commit to that right after the hearing. Deutsche Bank has lent Trump real estate, uh, his real estate companies, millions of dollars. Capital One is the uh, is among the banks that house Trump's personal accounts. In a statement released after the ruling, Deutsche Bank said it will not fight the order. Trump wrote a $35,000 check to his former personal attorney and private fixer, Michael Cohen, from that Capital One checking account in August of 2017 while he was in the White House after he became president. That money was part of the cover-up to cover up the hush money cover-up that was paid to porn star Stormy Daniels just before the 2016 election to keep her from discussing the affair that she allegedly had with Trump. That payment to her was an illegal, unreported campaign expenditure and part of the criminal conspiracy said to have been directed by Donald Trump and for which Michael Cohen is now in federal prison for taking part in. The uh, ruling, in fact, was the second setback this week for Donald Trump's effort to prevent the release of his financial documents. The decision by Ramos came the same day that the New York legislature also passed a bill that would allow Congress to obtain Trump's state uh, state tax returns from the state. Well, all of this is going to leave a mark and a very grumpy, not yet impeached president over the next couple of days, I suspect. But hey, speaking of Trump's old personal fixer, Michael Cohen, what about the new one that is actually facing contempt of Congress charges right now and who has made so much of this possible. Why is he seemingly off the hook at the moment? Where are the cries from Democrats or the media for the resignation or, yes, impeachment of Attorney General William Barr? Eric Bollard has some thoughts on that. He joins us next to discuss them and much more of today's D.C. Crap Show right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I love this bar. Yes, he does. I love this bar. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos on Monday joined the club of Trump officials revealed to have used private email addresses for government Business, a practice that often violates the rules for retaining documents for the benefit of those who want to examine the public record. Is this sounding familiar yet? In a brief letter Monday, the Education Department's acting inspector general said that her office found emails DeVos had received on her private email accounts from a sender offering advice on potential candidates for departmental positions. DeVos herself, between Trump taking office and April 2018, sent a number of emails relating to official business from a private account. According to the IG's letter, the department failed to turn up those emails in responding to a public records request because, you know, they were on a private email server as opposed to the department's indexed system when officials originally went looking through it to respond to a FOIA request. But the inspector general separately found emails, in fact, sent from DeVos's private accounts on the departmental email system, according to the inspector general. Of course, this is precisely what Trump and Republicans accused Hillary Clinton of doing throughout the 2016 campaign. It is the basis for their infamous lock-her-up chants at rallies. But DeVos is hardly alone among Trump officials uh, who were found to have done the exact same thing, including Mike Pence as the governor of Indiana, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump in the White House, Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, Gary Cohn, Steve Miller, KT McFarlane, the list goes on and on. Chris Kobach and other members of Trump's bogus voter fraud commission. And, of course, Scott Pruitt as the disgraced EPA administrator and as the Oklahoma attorney general. President Trump supporters might be excused, however, for not hearing about this news over the roar of a campaign rally chanting, yes, lock her up at the mention of Hillary Clinton's name on Monday night in Montoursville, Pennsylvania. Their Pavlov dogs response to what they probably don't even know or remember what it was about anymore, if they ever even knew. Yes, it was about Hillary Clinton's uh, use of a private email server while serving in the administration, just like DeVos did as education secretary in the Trump administration. But that chant in Montoursville at the rally on Monday night in front of Air Force One, which was used as a background prop at a campaign rally, that's a whole different problem. That chant was taken over by a chant of lock them up on Monday night when Trump turned to his claim that he was spied on by the Obama administration during the 2016 campaign. 
a claim which Trump's own appointed FBI director, Christopher Wray, recently rejected by conceding during a sworn congressional testimony that he had seen no such evidence of illicit spying. Of course, that didn't stop Donald Trump on Monday night from lying to his brain-poisoned supporters at the rally. Now nah, we caught him. They were spying. They were spying on our campaign. I'll tell you what, if that ever happened to the other side, this thing would have been over two years ago. And, you know, it would have been treason. They would have called it treason. And that's what it is. It was treason. And it should never be allowed to happen to another president again, ever, ever, ever. You reclaimed your destiny. You defended your dignity. And you took back your country. Well, we have a great new attorney general who's going to give it a very fair look. Very fair look. Lock them up. But of course, as the FBI director says, there is no evidence that Trump was spied upon. But where did that claim even come from? It came from Donald Trump's own new attorney general and, yes, fixer, William Barr, who has now opened an investigation into whether the DOJ or FBI spied in some fashion on the Trump campaign. That, after Barr helped to completely warp and hide and cover up the evidence of the 448-page Robert Mueller special counsel report by claiming, falsely, that it exonerated the president, allowing Trump in the uh, White House garden today to give a so-called impromptu press conference with a printed sign in front of him reading, No collusion, no obstruction, both false claims at a press conference, uh, given the fact that they had the sign printed up in advance, it was anything but impromptu, as the corporate media is describing it today. But ceaselessly ripping up norms, author and longtime media critic Eric Bullert writes today in his latest column, Donald Trump has clearly turned the Department of Justice into a political weapon. And Attorney General William Barr now gladly oversees it with one goal in mind, protect the president at all costs. It's a stunning and unprecedented crisis in American justice, according to Bullard, to have the nation's top law enforcement officer actively enabling the White House and doing it so brazenly without concern for the shredding of the department's reputation for independence. In Barr, Trump finally has the Sean Hannity-like attorney general he was looking for, someone who tosses off vacuous, dishonest talking points, sounding like a seasoned Fox News pro, all in the cultish defense of Trump. Bullard says under Barr's radical DOJ, new rules dictate that the Republican president cannot be prosecuted. Congress can't investigate the president. Congress can't subpoena his top aides. The Department of Justice will investigate anyone at the FBI who previously tried to uncover the truth about Trump's actions. And if needed, the DOJ will investigate the president's political rivals. Trump even recently said that it would be fine for him to instruct Barr to investigate Joe Biden, a likely 2020 opponent. 
Then, of course, at the rally over the weekend, as you just heard, Trump uh, told loyalists chanting, lock them up in reference to these Democrats and the folks at the DOJ that his attorney general would look into the possibility. So why isn't the Beltway Press being clear eyed about the crisis that's unfolding? Bullard asks, why isn't the media stating clearly that Barr no longer actually functions as an independent attorney general and examining the profound implications that that has for America. Bullard asked some good questions. Well, here to hopefully answer some of Eric Bullard's good questions is Eric Bullard, longtime media analyst at Media Matters for America and Salon, now writing over at Daily Coast. He is also the author of two books, Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changed Politics and the Press, and Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. Eric Bullard, sir, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, thanks for having me. All right, so I'm hoping you uh, may make help me at least make some sense of not only what is going on among Democrats in, in Congress as they debate among themselves about whether... Uh, or I would argue when to begin impeachment uh, inquiry of Donald Trump, but also wh why it is that Barr's, uh, Bill Barr's rather outrageous behavior is by and large being ignored by the media, as you argue today. But first, Eric, first things first, will William Barr be ordering an investigation into the use of private email servers for government <laughs> business by Betsy DeVos, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, Stephen Miller, Scott Pruitt, et cetera, et cetera, so that they, too, might be locked up? Will that be happening? Right, right. That's not going to happen. There's so many interesting things that, that's happening with Barr, and, and a lot of it plays into long-time established Beltway narratives or guidelines, the kind of unspoken. Uh, and, and it goes back to even Barr's nomination and his confirmation hearings. And, and there was just this feeling within the Beltway, gee, he worked for the Bushes, he's a serious guy, he used to be attorney general. I remember watching the confirmation hearing and, and just kind of being frustrated by even the Democrats on the panel, because mm -hmm. uh, they, they were still doing this idea that he'll be the adult in the room in 2019, right? He was going to be the John Kelly, who turned out to not be John Kelly, who was mm. going to be the adult in the White House as chief of staff. John and John so, Kelly wasn't even John Kelly, but no, I take exactly. your point. Yeah. And uh, so people like Barr get a pass. Uh, they're serious people. Uh, they're, they would never do anything radical. Yes, they're conservative, but these are these are important men, uh, and, and and that's how they're treated by the press. And and and. That's why his, you know, late March press release, which is what I call it, mm -hmm. claiming that the Mueller report had exonerated Trump was so successful because the press just ate it up, ate it up. It's William Barr. It's Bill Barr. He's not going to lie to us. He's not going to mislead the American public. He's the attorney general of the United States. He's going to be fair and impartial. And we look back now and it's an absolute joke. Uh, I mean, he has shredded his reputation. I don't. Thankfully, I don't think there are many reporters that would take anything Bill Barr says now, at least on face value. Mm -hmm. But for two or three weeks, what did that do? That produced all those headlines, right? Mueller report exonerates Trump. Mueller report finds no collusion, and none of it was true because no one had read the report. Yeah. And as we found out later, when the re, you know the redacted report was released, you know. 
uh, Barr had just lied about everything. He lied when he went up to Congress and, and, and testified before the Mueller report was released. He lied afterwards. Uh, Mueller sent him a letter within 48 hours basically saying, what are you doing? This is not the report right. I, I, I wrote. And when uh, Barr went up to Congress and was asked, do you have any idea what Mueller thinks about this? He said, no, I have no idea. So, uh, and, and we can go on and we can talk about, and, and so that was the chapter, right? That was the real introduction for most Americans, mm-hmm. that Bill Barr is just a chronicle liar. Uh, and, and he's been doing these dirty tricks for years. He, he, you know, he orchestrated the pardons for Iran-Contra. He was one of the early architects of the whole Whitewater charade against Bill Clinton. But again... Within the Beltway, it almost doesn't matter what your resume looks like. If you're a middle-aged white man, conservative Republican, you're deemed serious and you're deemed important. Well, let me um, let me ask you. He yeah. uh, he. he uh, yes, that's how they did uh, perceive him uh, initially, and then he came out with that uh, the four-page memo, the press release, right. as you call it, and everyone seemed to, or too many bought into it. I mean, we tried to make yes. it clear on this show right. that that was nothing but one guy's, you know, uh, four-page opinion about this, and that we hadn't seen the actual report. But then it came out, and as you note, uh, you know, the the media, I think, has learned that this yes. guy cannot, should not be trusted about right. anything at this point that he is as uh, some people have described him as uh, Donald Trump with a brain but right. so w- now that the media gets it uh right. w- what why There's what is your problem. case right. yeah what's your right. case here's, against them here's the second problem the second problem and this has been the problem since inauguration day 2017 the second problem is no one will will break the glass uh, on the alarm uh, you know, so he, he, he you know, the, the Justice Department comes up with this ridiculous, laughable reason why Don McGahn, Tr- uh, Trump's former general White House counsel, can ignore a congressional opinion, subpoena. Mm-hmm. And the White House says, well, the Department of Justice says he doesn't have to. And, and you look at these opinions, and they're a complete joke. They're a complete joke. So he, he's, he's creating political cover on that front. He's, you know, he's refusing to hand over the unredacted report. He's going to investigate the investigators. And so he is just, as I, you know, I mentioned in the piece, he and Trump are just shredding centuries of, yep. uh, of norms in terms of the Department of Justice. But you read the coverage, and it's kind of he said, she said, right? Democrats say Mueller is being dishonest. Well, you don't, you don't need a Democrat to, to understand that Mueller, I'm sorry, that Barr is being dishonest. You don't need Democrats to point out that Barr lied about the Mueller report. You don't need Democrats to point out that the legal reasoning why, you know, uh, Don McGahn can't testify is a joke. He already testified to Mueller's investigators. What he told them is in a report that's public right now. Right. <laughs> this idea that McGahn can't testify because of privacy between him and Trump, it is laughable. But we're not getting that, I don't think, we're not getting the type of coverage. As I pointed out, New York Times, Washington Post, they haven't called for his resignation. It is inconceivable what Bill Barr could possibly do, which would trigger, you know, major newspapers in this country calling for his resignation. And people say, well, who cares? He's not going to resign. That's true. But as I point out in my piece, it sends this message that we are in a crisis. We are in a possibly defining crisis in American history, and and uh, you know, but these major news organizations don't really want to go there, and they don't want to raise the temperature, and they don't want to talk about 
uh, you know, that we have a Department of Justice which is dismantling transparency and, and as I said, decades and generations of independence. And it's turning, it's being turned into this hack shop in a way John Mitchell during Watergate never dreamed of doing this stuff. Why, I guess, is uh, yeah, what, what so. brings me to that. Why would, uh, as you say, the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, right. and, and those, you know, the... They put out those editorials, such and such must resign, and of course it's ignored. Uh, no matter who the administration is, it's certainly going to be ignored under the Trump administration. Right. But why are they not, as you see it, coming out with those editorials? What is it that they are afraid of here? Right, so this is the larger issue with, with all the Trump coverage, which is this desperate desire to keep this within the norms, right? Mm. They want to pretend... Yes, obviously this is different. Yes, Trump acts in an eccentric, erratic behavior sometimes, but he's really not that different. I mean, the Washington Post last, you know, over the weekend, Dan Baltz did a piece kind of comparing how Trump and Obama were kind of similar, right? They were both kind of upended the norms, and this is how Obama, uh, Obama's political arc and, and Trump's political arc were kind of similar. And I'm like, no, 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 not... None of, none of that is accurate. But look, they don't want to talk about Trump being a pathological liar. They don't want to talk about him likely being mentally unstable. Because once you talk about, once you acknowledge that, you can't go back. That has to be the story every day for the rest of the Trump presidency. So we have the New York Times who won't call him a liar in, in news pages. And they've burned up their thesauruses trying to figure out euphemisms for lying. And this is this is all invented before Trump. Before Trump came along, newspapers didn't hesitate to call people liars. They like calling politicians a liar. So they've invented this whole aura, and they want to kind of keep the coverage between the lines. Yes, he's controversial. Yes, there's, there are these scandals. But it's not really that different, right? It's, it's, it's partisan warfare. And so that's why I think, they just refuse to be clear-eyed. They refuse to be accurate and, and honest with, with news consumers and saying, this is nuts, this is dangerous, this is radical. We have never been here as a country before. They're scared of the, the unprecedented nature of it. And if they can stay away from that, they're way more comfortable. How much of this, uh, going, sticking to Barr for a moment, specifically yeah. uh, Bill Barr, how, how much of this and, and the fact that Bill Barr sort of seems to be skating here oh, yeah. uh, for now, uh, how much of this is actually the Democrats' fault? And and by the way, for once, I think the charge uh, Democrats in disarray may actually be uh, <laughs> accurate here, Eric. Um, how much is their fault for not, you know, loudly and persistently calling for Barr's resignation or, uh, you know, is, is more their uh, Congress's place really beginning an impeachment inquiry for Bill Barr, if only to send the message that, yeah, right. you know, we got this power and we're not afraid to use it. Yeah. Quick point about uh, one of the reasons why he's skating, and I, and I wrote about this in a larger text at Daily Coast a couple weeks ago, which is what Trump and his team are doing, which is so unusual, is it, the corruption is all out in the open, right? The uh, Beltway journalists have been, have been uh, for generations, certainly since Watergate, have been 
uh, taught that there has to be aha moments. Mm -hmm. And it's those aha moments, those public revelations that drive scandal. And what Trump and Barr and Betsy DeVos and all the others are doing is that we're not going to hide anything. We're just going to be corrupt in in open daylight. Mm. And in a weird way, it's kind of fooled the press. They're like, they don't know what to do. Like, wait, they're not even ashamed of, of, of tearing down the... Department of Justice. And so anyway, that's just a quick caveat. And, and one of the reasons they're skating is that I think the press has a tough time dealing with an administration that doesn't hide, try to hide lawbreaking, <laughs> because before this, everyone tried to hide any lawbreaking they did, and that was the chase, and that was the revelation. So in terms of the Democrats, yeah, you know, I mean, they did quickly... Um, you know, um, uh, fine bar and contempt. He's mm-hmm. only the second attorney general in the history of the country to, to do that. It right. doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and uh, and you could argue that they should do a lot more. Uh, well, they have the power. They have the power to impeach Eric. They yeah. could use it. Well, I mean, yeah, I think all the attention in terms of if we start talking about the I word. I think all of the uh, uh, Democratic time and attention is, is, is focused on Trump. And you could make an argument that if they try to do, you, you can't, you know, politically it's just, um, it's so difficult to do more than one. And again, another thing that Trump uh, is winning off of is just flooding the zone. I mean, just completely yeah. uh, flooding the zone. And, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about Democratic messaging and why don't they do this and that, and I'm critical of them too. But it's also insane, two things. Also, it's an insanely difficult for uh, for a political party to respond to all of this stuff mm-hmm. effectively and forcefully every day. And B, the dirty little secret is that Washington Press Corps doesn't care what Democrats think. They don't care what Nancy Pelosi thinks. That Nancy Pelosi has never set the agenda in that city, but boy, I'll tell you, Republican men have been setting that agenda, whether the Republicans are in power or not. Uh, and, and well, so I would argue, let me that's, ar- that's, yeah. Well, let me argue one of the reasons that they're they're setting that agenda, and I kind of and I, let me uh, full disclosure here. I'm I'm sort of going back and forth on this uh, between uh, sort of Pelosi's methodical uh, position right, right. and the more uh, aggressive, you know, we should impeach now sort of position. Uh, I understand both sides actually have pretty good arguments in this case. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But, uh, you, you know, it, it seems like when, when you say, well, they'd be paying attention to the Republican men making this case, I agree that they would. But also, the Republican men are very good at hammering their case over and over again in, you know, uh, right, uh, right, bumper right. sticker type. Entire, right. Yeah, they, they would focus. Propaganda network on TV well, they, they do, right. but, I mean, if the Democrats were up there every day saying William Barr must resign or face impeachment, then I think it would be uh, getting covered, no, by the media? Uh, that's a good question, and, and we probably won't know because they're not going to go down that road. Um, but um, I mean, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Won't hurt. I, I'm happy to blame the the Democrats for any. I mean, sorry, the the press for anything here, uh, as well as the Democrats. But you know, you have a case where the Democrats ought to be driving this cycle. It seems to me, and I'm wondering, uh, do some of their pulled punches on Barr have to do with the fact that uh, Republicans, as you noted during the Obama administration, also held uh, Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, in contempt, yeah, and right, nothing right, came right. of that. Is there 
uh, some sort of parallel here that, okay, we're even, we've uh, declared uh, both AGs in contempt now, and we'll do something else, we'll move on? I don't know, and, it, and it's funny when I watched the, when, when Barr did show up that one day for the Senate hearings, and I still thought Democrats were being way too timid. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just, I mean, this is a bad guy. Yeah. And in the back of my, in the back of my head, I wonder... Is there a reason senators don't want to make the attorney general angry? For local reasons, for all the things that the Department of Justice does in states and around the country and investigate, you know, I mean, we, we, only, we only see the surface stuff, and we have no idea all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and, and I just couldn't help wondering, is there a reason they don't want to, you know, make enemies with the Department of Justice because they're afraid it'll hurt their home mm. states in some ways. But, boy, I just, it did drive me crazy. His confirmation hearing dro- drove me crazy. <laughs> and I think, gosh, if you look back, three Democrats actually voted for Barr, which is, I mean, they're kind yeah. of the obvious characters. But, boy, oh, boy, what a, what, what an awful. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a whole separate conversation. I wish Democrats would just rip these guys new ones every time they came up to the Hill, and it just it just doesn't happen. But that's, they, they deserve it at this point. Well, they do, and and because they don't do that, and then they don't even do it when they're in, you know, when Obama came uh, into office and said we're looking forward, not back. Uh, there was no accountability that uh, you know allows guys like Trump and everyone. I mean, this guy at the DOJ, and I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, but the one who came out with that uh, finding this. Deputy AG, that, oh, uh, you know, former uh, uh, executive branch officials like Don McGahn, former White House counsel, that he does not need to testify. Right, right. Um, that, that deputy AG was a guy who was behind the torture is just fine memos from the George W. Bush administration. So, of course, he came out with that sort of uh, finding in a memo. They'll come out with whatever memos they need. And because there is never any accountability, it feels like, Eric, that allows this to happen. All right. All of which uh, takes us to where we are today uh, with the Democrats and, yes, their disarray over whether or not to begin an impeachment inquiry. Uh, Before I let you go, got any thoughts on that and whether Pelosi is moving too slowly as many progressive critics outside of Congress and now inside of Congress seem to be suggesting uh, even uh, House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler reportedly wants to begin an official uh, inquiry or whether the right thing to do here is build the case methodically in court and see where it takes us. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I go back and forth all the time on this. I, I guess I don't see there's uh, one problem the Democratic leadership has is I think this idea right after the report came out and maybe two or three weeks ago, the idea is let's just do the election, right? This is the way we're do. We're going to drive them out of office. We're going to win. There's a possibility there might be a backlash. We don't want to warn against, you know, we don't want to uh, kind of mess with that. We think we're in good shape. We'll pick up more on the House. We're going to win the White House. Th- this is the thing. The problem with that theory is that's the assumption that Trump's behavior, day-to-day behavior, will remain the same or static from now until November 2020 or 2020. Yeah. And as we have seen in the last five days, ten days, four hours, he's insane. So just kind of waiting it out, I don't think is an option because his behavior is so dangerous, it's, yeah. and it's just going to escalate nonstop. Yeah. On the flip side, I don't think there's like a huge rush to start impeachment, like last week or next month. Uh, Except you, you just know, said it, he's insane and dangerous. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, but impeachment. But we all know impeachment's not going to remove him from office, right? Because the Senate's never going to vote for 
to, to drive him from office. So impeachment, I, I think, is to make an historical record, which mm-hmm. is important. It's to lay the case out for the American people. It's to shame him. It's to shame his, his team. And I think that's important. But I guess I'm not in the camp like, we got to start this tomorrow morning. I mean, does it matter if it starts in May or June? I don't know. I think the Democratic caucus is certainly coming around in terms of the numbers that are swelling, that see the writing on the wall, see that we don't really have a choice. I think they're discouraged by the public polling. And just a quick point on that, the public wants the vast, all the Democrats, virtually all independents, they all want this nightmare to be over, but they just want to wake up and he's gone. Right? They don't want a 10-month impeachment, I don't think. Mm. Uh, they, you know, they're so exhausted by all of this, um, which is why I think the impeachment numbers are low, because I think people are just like, ugh, I can't. But they all want him gone at the same time. Yeah. So there's a political hurdle that for the, that, that's facing the Democrats. And I want to challenge just one point before I let you yeah, go yeah. that you sort of uh, mentioned there, which is which is the uh, conventional wisdom, obviously, that, oh, the, uh, the Republicans in the Senate will never vote to remove oh, him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not so sure about that, Eric. Really? You know what? Yeah, and here's why. Tell me five that would vote yes. I, well, uh, right now, none. Zero would okay. vote yes. But <laughs> if you... What, what could turn the tide? If you put these people on camera, on television, every day yeah. you get the Don McGahns, the Hope Hickses, the... Uh, all, you know, all you get Donald Trump himself. Remember, on a trial in the Senate, you, yeah. you're, you know the the president will testify. Uh, frankly, Justin Amash could be the uh, House manager right. in the Senate against well, uh, Donald Trump. And, and yeah. let me jump in and say here's the here's the reason why I would agree with you. If 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 everything went perfect and we did have these parade of Republicans and Trump was suddenly polling at 31%, mm-hmm. and the Republican Party has nine months to a general election, uh, <laughs> and they see the writing on the wall. Yeah. Yes, that, that is a Hail Mary scenario that is does have a 20% uh, plausibility. So, I, 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 so yeah, keep keep that one in mind because you know when yeah, yeah, yeah. when uh, Nixon when the impeachment began against Nixon, remember he had right. just had a landslide. What like forty nine states he won, right, right. And then he was uh, when he began the impeachment uh, inquiry began. I think it was something sixty three percent positive. Three months right. later, he was down to thirty percent uh, positive right. approval rating. Trump is starting down there at thirty percent right, approval I rating. So I don't know. <laughs> That's which true. complicates everything. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right on that point. It does change everything. But I don't know. Uh, check check that conventional wisdom because I'm just not completely convinced about it. Yeah. But I've been very wrong before. Uh, never wrong, of course, is Eric Bollert, a longtime media analyst, uh, now writing over at Daily Coast, author of Bloggers on the Bus and Lapdogs. You can find him on the Twitters at Eric Bullert and, of course, at DailyCoast.com. Eric, thanks for joining us today, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, great. Thank you, great, brother. Brad. Talk to you soon. Okay, we're late. i got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our yep. producer, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You're welcome. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to make that possible, to make all that we do here possible. Thank you. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you'll find, follow, and share what we do on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, 
I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.